0: David. We're going to have a lecture from Pranoy Roy, as you know, and then we're going to follow it with a panel discussion in which Pranoy will take part, and you, the audience, must also take part. We're usually pleased with ourselves at the Reuters Institute because we think we're pretty good, but we're especially pleased with ourselves that we've managed to get Pranoy Roy to talk to us today. He's schlepped halfway across the world to get to us. He's thought deeply about what he was going to say. I know because I worked a bit with him on it, and he has put a great deal of care and attention, as you will see, to this uh, this talk. And he's brought a team of his own technicians to wire us up into the 21st century, which is a novelty for us, and the screens behind you will project, project his speech. But above all, we're pleased with ourselves because he is the most distinguished of Indians' many broadcast journalists. If anyone deserves the title of Douayen. He is the Douayen of Douayens. He will tell some of the story of, uh, of New Delhi television, NDTV, so I'm just a commercial, really, before the bulletin starts. NDTV developed um, within the, the womb of state journalism of Doordashan, which was the state broadcaster, when Pranoy and his wife, Radhika, had a belief that broadcast news didn't have to be what it mainly was, as I'm told, Uh, state press releases read out on the the radio and television. Uh, And over time, uh, as they did first one program, then more, NDTV was born and became the pioneer of Indian news TV. And that heralded what many of you will know, especially the Indians among the audience will know, was a vast growth uh, which continues. both in newspapers, but above all in television, uh, and in news television in Hindi, in various other languages, and in the English language. So we look forward very much indeed to what he says, the more because he brings us news about news, which is expanding, finding new audience, and growing in influence. We are very honoured indeed to welcome Pranoy Roy.
1: Thank you very much, John. Um, Well, I am deeply honored to be speaking here tonight uh, at the annual Reuters Memorial Lecture. But I must admit, I was a little hesitant to accept this invitation because of that old saying about India that kept going on in my mind. It goes that while India is not the most important nation in the world, it's certainly the most self-important but eventually it was uh, irresistible because the invitation came from two of the greatest institutions, Reuters and Oxford University. It's also special to me because I was asked to do this by a man who's been of great importance to me in my life, who I respect deeply and who I'm extremely fond of. He's sitting right here, a very special human being, David Butler. This is dedicated to you, David. Although you may like to disown it, actually, when I got an email from David asking me to speak, well, that was it. And discussing what I should do, what should I should speak about tonight with John Lloyd, he suggested I tell the story of Indian television as a whole—the uh, whole revolution that's going on through the experience of NDTV. So it's going to be first-hand kind of thing. And taking John's advice, I've touched upon a few just a few of the many challenges that in the media we had to fight, all of us, while growing up in a society that was under transformation and still is. And two underlying factors seem to have driven the transformation of media in India. First, the intrinsic force, the sheer force of new technology to challenge and bypass and torpedo governments control, and domination. That's been a great asset in India. And second, the unstoppable energy of India's chaotic, anarchic, and creative democracy. That combination has been amazing. It's empowered a free and aggressive media in India. And while it's come a long way, in a sort of uncanny parallel with what's happening here in England, we are now also in the midst of a debate on how much regulation, if any, the media in India really needs. So NDTV has just entered its 25th year. During these 25 years, we've seen electronic media landscape in India change from one government-owned dominated channel, Doordarshan, with heavily controlled and censored news bulletins, to at last count, 182 news channels, 182, all uncontrolled and uncensored. And by the time our next general elections come up, that's in 2014, with all the applications that are now in, we expect the number of news channels to go up to 250. In many ways, therefore, actually, uh, India's news channels act a bit like broadcast versions of websites all over the world disruptive, challenging, and there is another similarity, no fear of punishment. While the fearlessness of the internet kind of hides behind the veil of anonymity, you can't punish the unknown, India's broadcast media also thrives in a punishment-free society. But we've got a different fig leaf back home. Our defamation, libel, and privacy laws are uh, either not imposed at all, or they take 20 years to get justice. <laughs> and that's the norm, and nobody worries when you're sued for defamation. It just doesn't. There's not one case where you can say that somebody learned a lesson. So 25 years. 25 years ago, there was only one government-owned radio network. Now we have 250 private FM radio stations. But guess what? Each one of them is still not allowed to broadcast news. Just an indication that even today, the government, wherever it can, will cling on to control. 25 years ago, we got our news through the telex and through teleprinters. In fact, actually, when, uh, under the fax, and when our first choice when we had when we formed NDTV is what should we buy? Should we buy a telex machine or a fax machine? How much things have changed? Of course, now we get it by email, Twitter, Facebook. The phone also has become a major media source in India. Nine hundred million mobile phones, and people get their music, their news, they get their cricket scores, they get astrology. So that's a competitor now. Nine hundred million mobile, and we are working with them to try and do some uh, very different things uh, coming up to the next election. And now with 4G about to take off, all the auctions have happened, so broadband's about to take off. I expect that in the next five years we will have about 600 million people using broadband from about 140 million internet users right now. So broadband internet use to give our scripts to be censored and be banned from television. We told the government officials that this is what we're going to do. We will send you our scripts. But if you change one word in any story, we will not telecast that story. We will send, do another story on a completely different topic, no matter how important. We'll replace it uh, ourselves. It worked. They thought a great deal every time before suggesting any change in any story. And while we still had to drop many super stories, we never had to telecast a single censored story. Along with the world this week, we did several election shows, but these were live, so the question of censorship didn't arise. Although for one election, and David, you might remember this, uh, a particularly obnoxious but powerful man in the prime minister's office called us and said about 12 hours before we were to go on air, and told us you can't discuss these constituencies or else you've had it. Even though everything was ready, sets were up, rehearsals done, reporters in place all around the country, lots of money spent, um, advertisements in newspapers saying watch tonight, etc. We had to tell the uh, official that either we should be allowed to report without any restrictions Or we call the show off. He didn't agree, and the show was called off. But finally, with one hour to go, we were just taking down, packing up, bringing down the sets. We got a call. Apparently, Rajiv Gandhi, the prime minister at that time, had suddenly heard that this was happening. The show wasn't coming on, and he was furious. And one hour to go, we had to start putting up the sets again. He said, "Go on air," and we did. Uh, So it was all. These were just small examples. There are lots like this. Tense moments. But perhaps the first tectonic shift in Indian television uh, came in 1995. We'd been badgering the government, please allow us to do a report on Indian news, Indian news. One evening, and I still remember it vividly, a risk-taking, genuinely enlightened bureaucrat in the Ministry of Information Broadcasting called us and said, I'm going to give you a chance. Do the, 9 o'clock, do the eight o'clock news on the national channel. So he gave us a half hour slot. But he added that the government won't pay a penny for anything you're, you're gonna do. So we started our rounds of, we were thrilled, started rounds of private companies to try to get sponsorship. And kept saying, look, please don't think of uh, returns. This is the first ever private news in India. Please fund it. The response was actually fantastic. Pratham Tata was the first guy to say yes, and there were five others who followed immediately. And we were ready to go with three years funding and total editorial independence assured. So on the 5th of February 1995, we aired our first, or India's first ever, private news broadcast. Then came the blunder of the first night on air. I was anchoring, and I wouldn't say as usual. I tried to show off a little. And I said, uh, I looked at my watch, and I said, well, it's 8 o'clock, and we are coming live to you with the news. Now, someone in the PM's office heard the word live and threw a fit. You see, in those days, live was a four-letter word. And freely translated, live meant danger. You can't have live. Till that moment, actually, nothing had gone on air without being previewed. So we were warned that evening. Do not go live ever again, or you're off. So what do we do? Horrified at the thought of being previewed and censored, every night, we had to again think different. And we bought a computer with a huge hard disk and started our eight- o'clock news bulletin at 10 to eight. The video would go, and we did it as live. The video would go into the computer, stay in the disk for exactly 10 minutes and come out at eight o'clock, as the eight o'clock news. In fact, uh, the clocks in our office had NDTV time, which was 10 minutes faster than Indian standard time. (laughs) So we would go spot on air, NDTV time, eight o'clock, and it would come out on air, uh, Indian standard time, eight o'clock. The PM's office could relax because technically we were not live. But in reality, of course, no one could preview or sense anything in the hard disk uh, for while it was there for 10 minutes. So, so we had these two clocks everywhere. And uh, even today, we try and, one on Indian Standard Time, other on NDTV Time, we still talk about this 10-minute change that affected our lives. But uh, when it was broadcast out of the country, it was... Com- completely once again uncensored untouched by human being but technically not live that was crucial so we had to use similar creative methods to keep overcoming hurdles that kept up cropping up now and again for example the rules did not allow us to use satellite links the normal satellite links i mean you allowed news not allowed satellite links crazy but anyway so, but we checked and we found that stockbrokers were using VSAT terminals for data transmission. So our team wrote an algorithm that converted video into data, used a stockbroker's terminal, sent the data off, wrote another algorithm to convert that data back into video, and it went on air. So that made us the fastest live broadcast, but we didn't do anything against the uplinking laws. We just used stockbroker's VSAT terminals. Now for decades up to this time, the BBC ra- uh, radio virtually dominated news in India. In fact, uh, BBC was a huge brand in India, held over 60% of the market. With our public sector broadcasters, as its only competition, BBC, had life was easy. But today with a slew of private channels, uh, BBC share has dwindled from 60% down to 6%. I think given the strong brand that BBC is, was and is still in India, BBC missed a trick by not focusing on India, and I fear now it's a bit too late. 6% is tough to recover from. Now, after some years and lots of time spent convincing government that live was nothing wrong, uh, we became the first to actually go live. And in hindsight, uh, it started a major new direction in television news in India. Because Rupert Murdoch asked us then to produce the first 9 o'clock news on his big entertainment channel. And later, he commissioned us to do a 24-hour news channel. He financed the entire operation, but at that time had no hesitation in giving us total editorial control. And one man more than anybody else, John alone, who's sitting right here, one of the finest TV professionals I've known, ensured we succeeded in launching India's first 24-hour news channel. Thank you, John, This was great, and we worked together so much after that. And he was working for Murdoch out then, and he works with us and Murdoch even now. Uh, So few realized actually at that time that this was the beginning of a flood, sorry a tsunami of news channels emerging in India. In fact today perhaps the biggest challenge facing news channels, uh, in fact all of TV in India, is excessive competition and fragmentation. Many media reports miss the point when they focus only on the rapid growth in India of advertising revenues. They are impressed with the growth figures of 15% a year in advertising in the market, which indeed is true by world standards, but for us on the ground, that's only half the story. Advertising revenues reflect only actually the demand side in television. The supply side, that is the advertising time available, is now growing in India at between 35 to 40% a year. Why is that? Why is it growing three times faster than demand because the number of news channels starting every month that add supply and each channel existing also is expanding in the num- amount of time per hour that is allows for advertisements. So with so many channels India's television sector is almost as fragmented as the dot-com sector in Britain or America and the problems are similar too. Low advertising rates, losses, only the top television channel in each genre actually makes profit. For the rest, losses are the norm. Uh, there are also a few key reasons why the number of channels have exploded so much in India, from one, as I said, to two, nearly 200. First, the barriers to entry have come down, uh, both because of liberalization. It's much easier to get a license today, as well as because capital costs of starting a new channel have come down by 95% in the last eight years. And television's great, also, television's greater reach and uh, its visibility and its ability to influence public opinion makes it a major motivator for political parties. And many have begun their own news channels now. And finally, why why are there so many channels? There's a certain glamour to it, and there's a perception of power, and all kinds of people are motivated to start news channels. Now, this may seem like an apocryphal story, but it's absolutely true. An editor friend of mine heard a loud knock on his door one day. Turned out to be a well-known big builder in India. He was desperate, he said, to start a news channel and wanted my friend to run it. Money is, he said, not important. I'll finance the whole thing. So when my friend asked him, why are you doing this? So he said, look, I'm one of the biggest builders in this country. And I put in a bid recently for a tender for a mega project in Uttar Pradesh, one of our states. Everyone shortlisted for that was called to meet the chief minister. I went too. I had to wait eight hours. But anyone who had a news channel just walked in straight. <laughs> I want you to start a channel for me. So, all kinds of motivations, and there are a lot of people who are doing this. But once. Murdoch started a 24-hour news channel with us. Everybody seems to think this is it. Very keen to start one too. And the explosion followed English, Hindi, regional languages, anything. Just started a 24-hour news channel. 182 of them? Crazy. So the growing power of media suggests that five years from now, in different forms of conflict and war, soft power of the media could be as important, if not uh, more important, than hardware. In fact, after the indo pak war in Kargil in 1999, uh, the Pakistani president said, India won the war because of its media. And that lesson, 1999, and two years later in 2001, when President Musharraf got the shock of his life at the failed Agra summit, when he was constantly surrounded by dozens of Indian TV channels, I think was the key factor behind the opening up of the media in Pakistan. From total state control at the time of the Kargil War, uh, in 2002, it became free. And despite all the challenges, it's threatened, it is warned, not just by the government, by, all, by society, Pakistani media is fe- fearless, energetic, and I, I admire them almost more than anyone else. So at every stage of opening up, India's media was always in confrontation with the government. Uh, no matter which party, there was one common thing they all these parties, the government had. They wanted control and they would threaten us weekly, every week. For example, there were some in government who blamed the whole failure of the Agra summit on NDTV. And uh, we've been receiving... We had been receiving threats to lose our, that we'd lose our license, and finally the government cut off all our links to parliament, cut our cables. At times, like that, there's only one thing to do, just lie low and wait for the storm to pass. Eventually it did, and six months later they put our links back. In fact, just a few months later, in 2002, in the Gujarat riots, uh, where the, with the mindless killing of Muslims that took place, NDTV reporters were uncompromising, and I recall getting a phone call from a very senior minister in the prime minister's office. And he said, you know, you know, Pranoy, I'm your friend. I always support you against all my party who wants to shut you down and all that. But if you carry on reporting like this from Gujarat, I'll not be able to stop you. I have to, sh- to let them shut you down. So please tell your reporters and anchors in Gujarat, to cool down or else, you know, I can't. it's out of my hands. Of course, we did no such thing. We told nobody... No message went across. A few hours later, I got a call from the same minister. He said, Pranoy, I just want to thank you for sending the message to your team. Things are so much better. I thank you very much. I didn't say a word. But in his imagination, he got over some particular hurdle. But I must say, since then, and it's been 10 years, no phone calls, no threats. I think they've just given up. No warnings. They've just given us up as a bad job, I think. But our five-year contract that time uh, with Mr. Murdoch was coming to an end. And James Murdoch came to see me. And he said, look, we've done five great years. Let's talk about the next, the future five-year extension. But this time, he said, quite understandably, let's make it a joint venture, not a commission thing. So I said, fine, we agreed on one condition, that editorial control would remain with NDTV. I still remember James Murdoch sitting across me We knew each other quite well. Saying, yes, of course, editorial control with you. I want that too. Because if any politician asks me or complains, I can just say, it's nothing to do with me. Go and talk to those guys at NDTV. Editorial control with you. Three months later, all the finances were agreed. James Murdoch asked me for one more lunch. And he told me all financial legal terms are fine. But I want one change. I must have editorial control. So I asked him three times, actually, why did you change your mind? He didn't answer. And still, till today, I don't know why. So in 2003, we parted as friends, and we still actually work together in some key areas. But uh, editorial control had to remain with us at that time. Um, So that break with, uh, with Murdoch, transformed NDTV from a production house into a broadcaster. Same thing happened to many people, the the transformation. So we launched two 24-hour channels immediately, one in English and one in Hindi. And after a rocky start, both were a reasonable success. But the channel space started becoming overcrowded. And that's where the challenges of Indian media starts. Uh, uh, India is now kind of at a stage where many of the problems with our news media are almost the same as they are globally. There's undoubtedly an element of truth in what James Murdoch said in his 2009 speech at Edinburgh, that profit, that the only reliable, durable, and perpetual guarantor of independence is profit. That's what he said, the element of truth in that, but it's not entirely true. Similarly, perhaps Elizabeth Murdoch's contrary view, she may have exaggerated her case, I think, because she said at last year's speech at Edinburgh, the same uh, series, uh, that profits without a purpose, she says, is one of the most dangerous goals for capitalism and for freedom. But before I give you some examples of how this debate is unraveling in India, the profit motive and what and how it's affecting us. Let me explain that we at NDTV operate by what we rather slightly pompously call the Heisenberg principle of journalism. You know, Heisenberg and quantum mechanics. Well, crudely interpreted, uh, it suggests that as you get, if most matters are waves and particles, and as you get closer to measuring one, it changes the very nature and essence of the other. So similarly, we hold that the Uh, A revamped Heisenberg principle of media suggests that given its duality, the closer you move towards the objective of profits, the very nature of journalism changes. And it seems to us there's nothing wrong with James Murdoch's goal of trying to get profits. But the problem lies in the path to profitability. Almost by definition, the path to making profits for a news channel is littered with compromises. And that really changes the nature of journalism. So often that no longer can it be recognized as a news channel. So in this quest for profits, in this overcrowded market in India, several choices are possible for anybody. But uh, the greater the success with any one of these choices, any one of these routes, the more than chance of the nature of your journalism collapsing. Tabloidization, that's the first and most popular way to make profits in India. Uh, it's a way to gain eyeballs. Virtually every single Hindi news channel in India today is grotesquely tabloid. It all began actually with Murdoch Star News after they split with NDTV. For a few years it didn't do too well. It was a serious news channel, but it was making losses, almost uh, obvious, and as a result, had low viewership. Then it decided to go tabloid. Seeing the success, and it was a success, it, started, it was a good idea. Every, so, so, seeing his success, every Hindi news channel turned tabloid. Every single Hindi news channel in India is tabloid. Um, in fact, I, what I think is the lowest point I've ever seen on Hindi news channels happened on one channel it wasn't Star News where the anchor woman looked into the camera twirled her hair and said break ke baad, aapko ek rape which means after the break we'll show you a rape that's the level of tabloidization tabloidization we've reached why blame uh, Hindi channels I mean the rush for tabloidization is a becoming a global problem, actually. Forget, in fact, all the usual suspects. I find it disturbing to see even the wonderful National Geographic or Discovery channels going down this slippery slope. With many programs now, they have, they have many programs designed to titillate with their, you know, their, their titles contain sex and violence. has to be that. If you want to do some of them, better be about sex and violence of animals. For example, some of their programs are called, one is called Wild Sex, The other one is called bid and destroy. The other one's called caught in the act, or monster versus man. And a personal favorite of mine is, what's a wicked pisser? I don't know what that was about, but that's a uh, good old National Geographic discovery kind of program. So India has the added problem with tabloid news channels. The advertisers, the agencies, the CEOs, they don't watch new Hindi news channels. They universally watch English news channels. So all decisions about advertising are based solely on numbers because they don't see what's the content. They don't see the tabloid and this rape and all that sort of stuff, where their product break ke, rape the kaenge and on comes your products, not the best uh, kind of contiguity. But unlike in the U.K, where serious papers get a higher uh, read by CEOs and get a higher ad rate, no such stratification exists in India. Just go—I don't watch it. Just go by the numbers. So, I don't—I guess I don't need to say the obvious. But going tabloid in the quest for profit changes the nature of the beast. It destroys journalism. I honestly report: uh, this is a bit of showing off, I guess, but the only Hindi channel that is not tabloid is NDTV India, widely recognized. I can also report it's making a loss. <laughs> Such is life. Proud to be making a loss. The other option to, be, to going tabloid in India, if you want to make profits, is a little simpler one. Fiddle the ratings. Every city in India has a consultant, ratings consultant, who for a very small fee, he'll ensure your channel will get higher ratings. The method is simple. He gets to know the homes where the people meters are. These are meant to be secret, but uh, nothing in India is secret. So everybody knows where these meters are. So he goes into a home, gives them a 60-inch plasma TV, and says watch anything you want on this beautiful television. But on the TV that's there attached to the people meter, please watch this list of channels at these times. And there'll be a certain financial benefit to you. And you get an additional award at the end of the year if you've behaved yourself. Actually, recently there was a sting done on a local channel where the People meter owner and the TAM person were fighting over the meter. The TAM person said, give me the meter back. You've not been watching the channels I've asked you. She said, no, no, I will watch it from now on. (laughs) And they said, no, you've lost me 20,000 rupees or something. So this was all shown on television. In fact, recently Nielsen sent out their global head to India, uh, global head of security to India to check out on everything. And he did a four-month elaborate investigation ex-FBI guy. And he said at the end of it, I have never seen as much corruption in the Nielsen system anywhere else in the world. And he's been all over the world. So why go tabloid? Just fiddle the ratings. But there are other ways uh, you can make profits besides fiddling the ratings or going tabloid. Uh, You can indulge in blackmail. There can be extortion. Uh, Accusation against British media too, right? Uh, but one thing is common in all these methods. So many compromises are made towards, in the path towards making profits, that they you lose your integrity or you can't call uh, these news channels in anymore. Perhaps actually the most common method of boosting. Am I going on too much? A bit? No, five minutes. Five more minutes, okay. Uh, we have something called, you know, it's an Indian invention called paid news where newspapers ask companies or politicians to pay for editorial space. And they don't make it clear to the reader that this is paid for space. Some, Actually, just some time ago, uh, we were visited by the regional editor, head of a well-known newspaper chain. And she wanted to leave her paper and join NDTV. And she, we asked her, why do you want to do that? She said, well, I don't mind paid news when it comes to entertainment. I've done that for years, but Last week, I had to put a positive article about a dodgy medical product on my front page. And that's when I decided I got to leave. So that kind of paid news is both commercial as well as political. I want to tell you the newspaper chain she works for is highly profitable. So India's media may not be perfect, but in the world's largest democracy, on balance, I feel our news media, both television and print, have been working for democracy. However, I'm slowly coming to an end. I hope uh, i not taking too long. However, we may be kind of reaching a tipping point right now. And if the media doesn't take corrective steps right now, a downward spiral uh, leading to a loss of credibility and government intervention may follow I get a sense that is beginning to happen right now. But I do not believe there should be any government-led statutory regulation in India of any type. That would kill India's biggest asset, uh, its freedom. We've been fighting 25 years against any form of control by politicians or the government, even if it's indirect, like by appointing the head of a statutory body to oversee who becomes on this uh, who's the member who leads it. However, I don't believe either in the other extreme of no regulation at all. I don't believe in that. Uh, today in India we have no penalties, as I mentioned, no defamation, no penalties for libel. It's frankly a free-for-all environment. You can say what you like and get away without being fined. As a result, uh, media is losing its rigor. There's no need to check facts. Why bother? Uh, The lack of punishment for defamation is actually resulting in the end of good journalism. And I know it's against our own interests as the media, but to be fined or to be punished, we may be one of the first to get it. But NDTV is fighting hard for defamation laws to be implemented in India by the judiciary and not by the government. Never, independent of the government. For example, we have a press council in India, toothless. It's crucial to give this press council powers, to impose fines, to ensure that the appointment of the members of the press council is done by the judiciary, not by the government, so you don't have party people in it. uh, We already have most of the laws in place. We just need them implemented. So in volatile countries like India, the other issue that we are worried about right now is anonymity. Because we have a lot of social tensions that simmer below the surface. And the consequences of anonymity, much greater than the examples normally used here, which is stealing or defamation, a, a wild anonymous message in India against a community, a caste, or a religion can lead to violence, panic, and killing. Recently, just recently, like a couple of months ago, tens of thousands of Northeastern students had to rush out of the city of Bangalore because of anonymous messages that were going around saying that all Northeasterners were going to be killed. All the trains were full. Of people. They just left in their thousands. The people who sent those messages never got caught because of anonymity. They hid behind the anonymous world of the Internet. And our terrorists all over continually use the anonymity and hide behind it of the web. But, you know, a pr- provocative message uh, in a sectarian, communal confrontation can cause a wave of violence. It's not just shoplifting. It, it's much more serious. Now, the, while there are, of course, very many advantages of anonymity, it's es- it is the essence of freedom on the net. It's important to uh, understand, I think, that the dangers might, in certain circumstances, outweigh the, those very benefits. Maybe it's time to bring the internet a little, little bit closer to the responsibilities that all other forms of media face today. You should take responsibility for what you write, shouldn't you? That's how we were brought up. I'm sure writers believe that. How many lives have to be lost in the name of anonymity? Uh, but let me clear. I'm not in favor of complete ban on anonymity. There are many degrees of anonymity. In everyday use, for comments, opinions, suggestions, there should be anonymity, because some people can write freer. But what perhaps needed is a law that only permits the piercing of the veil of anonymity when a serious crime is committed, at the very last resort. And once again, it must be done by the judiciary that decides when that crime is serious enough to uh, pierce the veil of anonymity. Anonymity, and ensure ensure that it's only in the rare, worst of rare cases. But people should know that when they write something, that the judiciary may allow that un- anonymity veil to be pierced. And Twitter, YouTube, and others are aware of certain dangers relevant to their own society, right? Um, they you, you uh, they screen much of their con- uh, content. Um, before publishing, that's why you never see pornography on YouTube or messages of underage sex on Twitter. Thank goodness these are screened. But are these same sites aware of the dangers and the, the consequences that a different kind of image, a different kind of message has in developing societies? And like they pre-screened their sites for their own societies, are they ready to invest in similar systems for other countries. Perhaps it's time for Twitter and YouTube to become a little sensitive to and and screen messages uh, that are dangerous and harm genuine democracies like India. I don't say you do it for autocracies because uh, the rule of the law doesn't apply. But we have different laws from America and from England and different flashpoints. And these two need to be stopped. These messages that breach those flashpoints need to be stopped before they incite communal violence. Finally, in the context of regulations, I believe that any changes in the media environment must be initiated and must be guided by journalists themselves. And in dialogue with the judiciary, journalists and the judiciary, never with the government or politicians. And we need to take some key steps soon in India before social pressures and a lack of credibility allow, give an excuse for governments to intervene. To change the rules of the game, the media needs to take the lead. And it needs to look beyond short-term profits and take actions with the long-term freedom and credibility of our media in mind. We've been fighting it all for five years. 25 years, we must now fight ourselves as well uh, and change ourselves. So as finally, as India's media has grown over the years, despite all the baggage so far, more news has been good news. We've pushed, pushed, pushed. We've seen the upside of unfettered journalism. But any strength taken too far becomes a weakness. And our media appears now to be hurtling towards its own regulatory cliff. Now it is at these critical moments that governments like to try to take control. These are weak moments, and they want to step in. Like these moments in the past, the time I think has come in India to once again fight any encroachment by the government and to act ourselves before it's too late only then if we act ourselves and fight the government encroachment can we ensure that in the future too more news will continue to be good news thank you very much
0: i've been joined by two colleagues one on my immediate left is professor daya from the university of westminster who was the founder and director of the india media center there and the on his left is Hirt Linebank, who is one of the co-founders of the Reuters Institute, was chief editor of Reuters, uh, and is something of an expert on India. Um, I'm going to start with the first question, just to put to Daya and, and Hirt as well as to you. Under the optimism and the narrative of growth and the huge energy that Indian media have, towards the end, there was a kind of pessimism, which is not true simply of India as well. Many people elsewhere, including here, uh, have this kind of pessimism, and that is that if news becomes popular, it becomes tabloid, the values of news, of accuracy, of um, analysis, of investigation tend to go. Do you see any, any, any way in which that can be stopped? And is, it, is it, do you think, by a, a, something which, which which is happening in India and elsewhere? Was it Were things better
2: in the, in the past, perhaps? Well, I grew up in, in India where there was one television channel. And that was not only a monopoly, but a state monopoly. But uh, we had a brahminical press, so press was much more solid and serious. Um, for example, the coverage of international affairs was much more detailed and analytical than it is today. Um, so at one level, we have this amazing growth of media, uh, as Pranay as mentioned, 183 or counting yeah. channels. But if you look at the quality of journalism, with a few exceptions, and, and NDTV would certainly be uh, one of those. Thank you. Uh, a majority of what passes for news is actually not news, is infotainment of a very crass variety. And that's a trend which you see actually across the globe. Um, and in, in that sense, India is conforming to a, a pattern which is commercially driven, advertisement-based media system. And uh, where the space for decent and informed debate and insight is actually limited. although first look, it, is, it feels that there's a lot of debate and a lot of noise, but actually when you go into detail, the debate is very limited, in fact. So but
0: you are saying that it was, a, a, if not a golden period,
2: a better period well than the, in, in the last 20 years, 30 years ago? In, in in the sense of press, certainly there was, there was more interesting debate and discussion. But television has obviously changed the the, 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 the terms of debate. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that despite this, uh, what I said earlier, about it, there's a lot of crass commercialism. If you, when you look at the overall picture, I agree with, with um, uh, Dr. Roy that in fact, there is a lot more conversation, especially coming from a sort of popular audience, which mm-hmm. was actually excluded from right. this Brahminical press. So in that sense, that is feeding into a kind of more mature democracy and some of the most exciting things are actually happening outside the elite media. It's happening in regional language media and in, in regional channels. You mentioned Hindi having problems. I agree with that. But actually, if you look at other language media, especially Tamil Nadu, our Bengali television ch- 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 journalism, some of which is really doing interesting work, and yes. it's an infinite improvement of what was available during 2 time. Pr- Pr- Pranav was
0: arguing here that 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 television now holds power to account in a way it never has before and yet yet at the same time, um, India is said to be more corrupt than it was in the past, it's slid down the transparency international scale in the last 10 years while there has been this great growth of television. What's your take on that?
3: Um, I'm not sure that
0: (laughs) India is fundamentally
3: more corrupt now than it was many years ago. I think there may be more corruption because there is more money going around that people would like to lay their hands on. But mm-hmm. I think very significantly, uh, we are seeing more of that corruption, partly because of the right of information legislation and partly because of the role that the media play, play in India in exposing this. Uh, um, I happened to be in India when Pranoy broadcast what made me fall of my chair, the result that for the first time ever... Um, corruption had actually worked its way up to the top of the issue that preoccupied voters. This was back in August, I think. That, right. you, that you had this uh, this very interesting survey. Until then, people weren't actually preoccupied with corruption. Everyone had learned to live with it. It was, a, you know, a fact of life. And you know, maybe if they're lucky, you know, they might they might have a piece of it later on. So it <laughs> wasn't really an issue. Wasn't really an issue that preoccupied people so uh, so much. And it's now worked. It's way up the agenda, thanks to campaigners like Anna Azari, but also very significantly thanks to the exposure that campaigners like Anna Azari and, and others have, courtesy of the of the news media. So, I think corruption has been part of the Indian system. I'm afraid. I mean, I hate to have to say it, but I think it has been been inherent in the Indian system for a very long time. I think we're just seeing much more of it, courtesy of the of the news media, and I think. One point that uh, Pranoy made about um, accountability of politicians, uh, about the news media holding, um, holding politicians to account is most certainly uh, very strongly the case. Uh, there was no accountability, there was no visible accountability. Um, uh, the politicians would have to present themselves in their constituencies oftentimes twice uh, during their, their tenure as I described once before the election and once towards the end uh, usually with a bit of money to, to spend shortly before the election came around so that <coughs> so they could re- get reelected. that's no, lo- no longer the case because they they they're, they're visible, um, continuously, um,
0: And they're better dressed, as you, uh, as you <laughs> were, uh, were saying. They're better
3: dressed, better groomed. But I, I do have one question, though, uh, that, that, that Pranoy's uh, lecture raised, which is the media, you, you said, uh, the news media uh, represent the voters towards the politicians. And there's certainly a greater degree of accountability when you watch uh, NDTV or Times Now. I mean, it's a very loud and energetic um, uh, spectacle where politicians are pilloried and, you know, attacked from all corners. um, But to what extent are you actually able to say that you are representing the voice of the voters rather than the voice of the anchor or the programme maker? And I think there's a weakness or there's a problem with... Indian twenty-four-hour uh, news channels, which is that almost perforce the agenda that they pursue is one of an urban and middle-class um, slice of the
0: Indian population. Uh, the I, last like word with you.
1: In fact, you know more about Indian media than all of us. Maybe I should ask you. <laughs> don't don't, Are you, don't pessim- you dare. <laughs> <laughs> Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Well. I, I, as I said
0: earlier today, I was a 10-day expert in Indian media, which for a journalist is a long time.
2: <laughs> and I came to the judicious
0: conclusion fun. that, first, that, that uh, as you've said, this is an extraordinarily energetic and talented group of people. We at the Reuters Institute, to give a commercial for ourselves, have had a number of, uh, some of our brightest people have been Indian journalists. I cannot imagine that that level of energy and talent does not produce, will not produce, good and better journalism. I think it's beginning to differentiate itself. I noticed when I was there something we haven't had time to talk about that some of the new magazines, news magazines, commentary magazines, yes. rather on the on the on the um, the level of the of the American magazines, the monthlies, the weeklies, and so on, are now coming out and establishing themselves. Also, I think making a loss, but nevertheless, probably as proud as you are (laughs) to be making the loss and putting across some very good journalism. And I hitch myself to the coattails of your optimism. Uh, You're optimistic that the Hindi channels will begin to differentiate themselves and not all go down the the tabloid route, that the the English language and the other languages too will begin to develop uh, better journalism. And I think also whatever about the corruption, I think I was very impressed by the sheer quality of the presenters, the investigative journalists, and, the, and journalists are tireless, one, in making a name for themselves, but secondly, by it, in doing so, uh, uncovering corruption and uncovering the ills of society. I think much more could be done, as somebody has suggested, about um, covering poverty covering the problems of India. I think these are probably underreported, possibly especially in many of the news of the TV channels. But, and now you've got me going as a a Swadizo expert, I think think your story is, has been, and will be um, a tremendously exciting one, and one that gives us, poor people in the West, with our declining newspapers and our TV in crisis, a bit of a shot in the arm. So if you're not going to say anything else, we're going to say thank you again <laughs> very, very much. Actually, there's
1: one small thing, uh, which is a bit of a mundane thing to answer one of your questions about why things could change, is that at the moment, Indian television is 95 98% funded by advertising. It's just going digital, and within three or four years, it's going to be 50% advertising, 50% subscription. But that changes the, the rules of the game a lot. Um, it makes... At the moment, actually, it's not only 99% advertising funded. Everybody pays to be on cable. You pay what is called a carriage fee. So the payment of carriage fee is set to reverse to be an income, 50% of your income. So there's hope yet by technology, digital cable. Let's end on hope. (laughs) Many, many thanks Thank you very much.